0: You are now about
1: to witness the strength of knowledge.
0: This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people.
2: Our rights are inherent and
1: essential, derived from our Maker. That is liberty and liberty
2: will reign in america
1: this is steve dace
2: and greetings happy thursday welcome to a theology thursday here on the steve dace show powered by crtv this is the podcast edition Here on Westwood One, available via iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. And speaking of CRTV, gentlemen, we just concluded our festivities for CRTV earlier today. It's going to be up on the website. Moon Momento. Let's give the audience a preview of what's coming up on CRTV today. Aaron, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, uh, some... Quick analysis of the Urban Meyer situation on um, on the uh, opening segment. Um, but the, the main conversation that we had uh, during the roundtable today with the Nate Madden from Conservative Review, our congressional correspondent, is parsing, I don't know if parsing is the right word, maybe distinguishing between politicization and the seeking of justice, uh, particularly as it pertains to the Molly Tibbetts uh, tragedy here in our backyard in Iowa, and I thought some of the conclusions we came to were definitely worth tuning in for.
2: What do you think, Todd?
0: Yeah, just uh, another ode to total depravity. Um, it's it's disconcerting uh, that we ultimately. That's the best we can do is simply make sure that you understand that at the end of the day. Prescriptions for where to go from here. Uh, I, d- I don't believe uh, I, there's too many men without chests to ultimately do something. Uh, we simply need to be pointing out the darkness as much as we can, do our part as an individual. But uh, we, our list of allies goes
2: thin, Aragorn. You know, a question I'm getting a lot more is so what do we do and I'm glad you guys are asking that question because one of the whole premises of our show is here's how we do what we believe you know the book that I wrote in 2014 rules for patriots is a how-to book you know it's the Ten Commandments of political warfare sometimes though and I'm not saying we're there yet we may be I don't know I'm not a prophet okay Um. I know the word of God as a believer, but I'm not. I am not divinely appointed specifically with the office of prophet to bring you a word from God. You see what I'm trying to say? Yes. So I'm not a prophet. I mean, I can. You know, Jesus told us to to uh, study the signs of the times. I can, so I can give you a learned guess, and that's exactly what it would be—a learned guess, which means it could be learned wrong. <laughs> that's what it could mean, or it could be learned right. So I'm not saying we're there. I'm also not saying we're not. I'm just saying, and I think this is difficult for the American mind to wrap itself around because all of us as believers, if you're a believer, we have a cultural bias, the whole nature-nurture argument, we have a cultural bias from the time and place in which we live. You know? And for us as Americans, the notion that there's no way out, that the Kobayashi Maru cannot be reprogrammed we are a people of rugged individualism. We are a people of nonconformity. We are a people whose founder said, dude, I'm not meeting these redcoats out in the field. I'm going to hide off the stamp tree. I'm going to wait till they, till they turn their backs. I'm going to stab them and run. I'm not going to die out there. I'm, you know, I mean, that's kind of how we roll. We're like, we're not going to island hop with the Japs for 20 years. We're just going to drop an atomic bomb and end this sucker. That's just how, you know, we like it bigger, stronger, faster. We like solutions. Have it your way, you do you. I mean, this is sort of the American ethos here. But if you look at the history of of the kingdom of God, that's not always how the solution is arrived at. Sometimes Jeremiah says to the people, you know, those Make Israel Great Again bumper stickers aren't happening, guys. This is a judgment instead this isn't this isn't a this is israel bitch commercial this is a not going anywhere for a while grab a snickers that's what's happening here sometimes jesus says dude flee to petra this is a no this is the no win scenario there will be no reprogramming here this era is done that's why i bring you a new testament a new commandment we're in a different time now that's a hard thing for an American mind to hear. We we are hugely focused, under the best of circumstances, uh, the, yes, and yes. we
0: don't live in that. Yes, time. yeah.
2: And we, we, one of our main focuses as a show is what to do about something. So when we tell, when we don't offer you what to do about it, it's it's usually sometimes it's because we haven't thought about what to do about it. A lot of times it's because. We don't really think there's anything you can do about it. That's why we talk about... Here's what we can do about it. Pray for revival. We've talked about that for years. I'm not saying we're there. I am saying, however, we should at least entertain the possibility. You are watching the last throes of a once great civilization under some form of divine judgment. And if that's true, that always happens for one of two reasons. One... To spur a revival, too, to close the book on that chapter of history. And we're not God, so we don't know which it is. And so, therefore, if we're in a time of Gideon's army, then that requires one line of preparation, right? If we're in a time of when you see uh, Titus destroy the temple... And take it down brick by brick under the orders of Hadrian. Uh, Run. Run and flee for Petra. This era is over now. And I don't know what it is. I don't know. I just know it's very dangerous for Christians who are American. To assume they would never live in a time where it's not the outcome they want. Stop and think about the day the Assyrians arrived. The northern twelve tribes, they got up, went down to Bethel or Shiloh, which they were not, which was a violation of the law. They went to make their sacrifices and worship God, not at the temple, but in their own way, in violation of God's law, like they did the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that, and the day before that, and the year before that, and the year before that. And they married their daughters and sons. They farmed their lands, right? It was a day like any other day. Except there was a rustling in the distance. This was not going to end up being a day like any other day. They were going to disappear from history. The Assyrians have arrived. Gone. Think about the day the, the southern two tribes got up. They had the temple. That's what they were lecturing Nehemiah about. We have the temple. What do you mean we're being judged? We're the ones that stayed faithful. We're not like those miscreant, you know, reprobates up north. We're the Lion of Judah, man. Come at me. Then all of a sudden, someone from the city gate screamed, We're surrounded! And they were, by Nebuchadnezzar. Sun got up, just like it did every other day that day. Went down to the well to get your water like he did every other day that day. But this would not be a day like any other day. Weeks, months would go by. He would starve you out. You would eat your own filth. Finally, he would come through the walls. He would take your king who told you to rebel against God's judgment. He would bring out the king's sons and wife, murder murder them in front of him. Then pluck the king's eyes out and lead him back to Babylon, so that that would be the last thing he would ever see. But man, started out, day like any other day, right? Same thing in Rome. Day like any other day. Then the Visigoths came over the wall, and it wasn't like every other day. So I know in the American mindset, where in the historical, in the arc of history, in 240 years, we have gone from a gleam in the creator's eye to the most powerful nation that's maybe ever existed on this planet. And so it just seems to us, the temple, the temple, Pax Romana. Well, God hasn't published, God hasn't punished our pagan worship here at Bethel and Shiloh for how many years? So I must be okay with it. Until he's not. I'm not saying we're there. I don't know if we are. I just think it's a real dangerous place to assume you're immune to that happening to you in your time. Because let me tell you what will happen if you dismiss this as a possibility. You will then not just fight for what you believe in, you will do so in a way that dishonors what you believe in. Because you will assume it's all up to you. And therefore, whatever tactic, whatever, whatever undermining maneuver, whatever deception, whatever you must do in order to beat the other who is obviously worse, is therefore justified because you're basically a functional atheist. You're on your own down here. Oh, you'll get together and you'll pray before you go out and do that and, and ask God, God, we know we're so good and just so cool. We're so slamming that you're going to back us up on this whole thing. That's a dangerous place. Dangerous place for a movement to be. Because that is not when you're calling you're you're not you're not Jonah calling Nineveh to repentance. You're that last king of Israel calling people to independence not repentance. Just something to think about. Bible study time? Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's continue our study in Colossians. So we have not even made it through chapter one yet. And I should mention, by the way, if you want to subscribe to our CRTV show, promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, Is how you can get a discounted subscription to CRTV that will not just give you access to our show, but every show we do here on the network. And it'll cost you just about a quarter a day. Promo code DACE, D E A C E at CRTV.com. All right, so we're two weeks into our Bible study in Colossians. We're gonna finish chapter one today. We may get past it a little bit further. I don't know. We'll see. So we open up uh, right first the first episode we did. Paul establishes his credentials. He lays out uh, his motivations as an apostle and vis-a-vis, therefore, lays out what our motivation should be as believers, where where our worldview and mindset should be focused on. Okay? And then last week we talked about, I mean, these verses 15 through 23 in chapter 1 of Colossians are some of the most important verses in the New Testament where Paul takes themes that uh, John hints at his gospel, well, doesn't hint at, but partially lays out in his gospel and is laid out several other places in the New Testament. And Paul puts them together in one, in one seamless garment of, of, a, of a hermeneutic, and it's called Christology. And we talked last week about through the gospels, we know who Christ is, but through Christology, we fully know who, why he is who he is, right? That's what we did last week. So remember, we've gotten a ton of good comments about this, Well, by the way. A lot of people, a lot of you guys are digging us doing this.
1: Like five days a day or five days a week. Let's do it more often.
2: Yeah, and, yeah. and so appreciate that. Uh, any questions or, and you? by the way, if you have disagreements about our, our exegetical analysis here, we're fine with that too, but just remember the disclaimer. I, if I get those, I'm putting those all in a folder in my email account. And we're going to address as many of them as we can in the podcast after we're done going through Colossians. Okay? So let's pick it up here. Verse 24, chapter 1 of Colossians. Paul, again, talking, says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I'm going to stop right there. So we just had a conversation about it's very dangerous to apply our American biases to the kingdom of God. This verse right here. This, this verse right here. Is an example of it. Now, there have been plenty of generations suffering for what you believe in was actually something American exceptionalism embraced this as an ideal. The founders pledging their lives and fortunes and sacred honors, for example. The civil rights movement, refu- taking high pressure water hoses, lynchings. Uh, Jim Crow laws, the threat of death to stand up against injustice, the willingness to suffer for what they believed. I read a, a, I read a, a work once talking about the, the final straw that won the civil rights movement is when white America was watching Walter Cronkite and Roger Mudd at night and watching the, 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 the film of what was going on down south. And they they called their and they're watching this you know the the over TV with the TV dinners and the tray tables with their kids, and their and their kids are asking them questions like why are they doing this to this these people, and white America in the Midwest and in the West Coast and out East they couldn't handle watching those visuals anymore, and they literally went to their their congressmen and senators and said make that stop, I don't want to talk about that with my kid anymore, in other words the suffering of the civil the willingness to suffer of the civil rights movement. Conquered the oppression of the system. So a willingness to suffer. In fact, what do we what's called, what's the, what's the movement called where women stride for the right to vote? Suffrage. What's that called? Suffrage. The willingness to suffer because much of American exceptionalism is born out of Western tradition, and Western tradition is is a is a natural world application of Judeo Christian philosophy. Suffering, the willingness to suffer, short term persecution. ridicule for long-term yield and harvest was embedded into the American psyche for generations. The people who founded the Republican Party left the Whig Party they met in Jackson, Michigan in the 1850s and their first two planks were protecting, protecting the sanctity of life abolition and protecting the sanctity of marriage. They had little hopes of winning any kind of national election in the next few years. They'd be ridiculed today. They'd be told, hey, you're letting the bad guys win. You're not going to win anything that way. Compromise. Lesser two evils. What's happened is Western tradition in America has been or already is being replaced with pagan ethics. The pagan ethic is Pontius Pilate. In in the God, in John eighteen, when Jesus says, "For this world, that reason I came into the world to testify to the truth," and Pontius Pilate's dude, dude what is the truth? I'm a politician, man. Throw me a freaking Pontius Pilate's basically Austin Powers in this di- in this back and forth. I mean, Jesus is laying down ordinance, and Pontius Pilate, like, throw me a freaking bone here. I'm trying to get out of this mess. You know, I got a tea time. You know what I'm saying? And and then later on, when he gives the when he gives the system its way. When they want Barabbas instead, what does he do? Washes his hands of the matter. Ah, whatever, I'm moving on. That's pagan ethics, or sometimes it's, it's, there's a big fancy word for it: utilitarianism. And what does it mean? It simply means whatever causes the least amount of pain and the most amount of good is good. That phrases like common good, self-esteem, that are prevalent today, come out of utilitarian ethics. The Bible says you should die to yourself. The Bible says you should suffer burdens for someone else. As your Savior suffered burden, your burden for you. The world system under utilitarian ethics totally contradicts that. When Planned Parenthood says, make every child a wanted child, that's utilitarian ethics. You have no inherent dignity because you are the imago dei, made in the image of God. You are to each according to his abilities, for each according to his needs. Is the is the freaking bumper sticker? That's the maga of utilitarianism. Is that line? That's its that's its life verse right there. And That's what Planned Parenthood is saying. You're gonna have a deformity. You're not gonna have, you're gonna have a bad family. Uh, you're gonna suffer. So just don't have it suffer now. Kill the child so it never has to experience that suffering.
0: Barack Obama, you shouldn't be punished with the yes. baby.
2: One of the great authors of Western tradition. His father went to debtor's prison, gave him up, forced him into basically indentured servitude. Of, um, of, of, of a slightly better form of child slave labor in the bowels of London in the, 18, in the early 19th century. Who what was his name? Charles Dickens. And what he saw, experienced, and witnessed in those situations gave him inspiration for characters and stories like David Copperfield and Nicholas Nickleby and, the, and A Christmas Story that have blessed how many untold millions of people for now centuries? And none of that would have ever happened had he not had to endure that suffering. That does not mean, by the way, we do evil so good may come. It, it doesn't mean the slave owner the white slave owner in the South in 1840 gets to say to the black family when he's raping the wife and he's whipping the husband and beating his kids. I'm doing this for your own good. Think about how much great adversity you overcome because I'm, No, that's not what it means. What it means is some words. Paul writes in Romans eight for all things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. Let me tell you what that means for my own life. God hated what Dave Dace did to me and my mom and my brother at the same time his heart broke for what was going on inside of Dave Dace's heart that he was this broken that he acted out this way because Dave Dace did this to us because of what Carl Dace did to him. And Carl Dace did this to Dave Dace because of what his dad did to him and so on and so forth. So while God was horrified and hated what my dad did to me, the ways that I had to defend myself from my dad's sin, the fact I don't require a lot of affirmation from other people to stand up for what I think is right, because I never got a lot of that affirmation when I was a kid. The fact that I'm not a joiner, I don't I don't need approval from other people, because I wasn't getting the home anyway. Those things that have helped me to withstand the system when a lot of my peers, frankly, have not been able to, because they grew up in good homes and they like things like affirmation and friends. I don't need those things. I spent most of my childhood in a basement hiding. God used that to put me in the positions I'm in today. Because all things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. Or as as Joseph says to his brothers, Well, you meant for evil when you sold me into slavery. Had you not done that, I wouldn't be here today to save our people from the calamity to come. Well, you meant for evil. God, sovereign over history, used it for good. And that's why we suffer. We suffer with the expectation. That that does not mean that there's never a time to revolt against suffering. That's not what it means. But revolting against suffering usually causes what, for the people doing the revolting as well, Todd, what does it usually cause? Some suffering. Some suffering, yeah. Because, like, the system's like, you know what, we thought about it, and you're (laughs) kind of right. They fire back, okay? They get madder. Pharaoh says, you know, I'm going to make you get your own straw for your bricks while you're at it. Let me give you the straw for your bricks anymore. You're going to get that too. How you like them apples? Usually the oppressor doubles, triples, quadruples down. So standing up for yourself causes even more suffering. But in the, in the in kingdom thinking, kingdom of God thinking says... We, we, we have a willingness to suffer under the faithful expectation that a just God, who conquered the last enemy through his son Jesus Christ's death, will keep his promise that all things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. That God's people suffered for 400 years of slavery, and then, they, and then God kept his promise to send the deliverer, Moses. That God's people waited thousands of years for the Messiah. Job said, I know, I know my Redeemer lives. God said to Adam and Eve, I will send forth a seed who will crush the head of the serpent. Thousands of years God's people waited for Messiah to come. And he did. But they had to endure how much suffering and hardship to get to that moment. Because if it was easy, you wouldn't have to sing, hallelujah, hallelujah. You do that because this was hard. It was difficult. Everything I just told you is anathema in our culture today. The lesser of two evils is a form of utilitarianism. I mean, on one one hand, anything you do in life involves the lesser of two evils. The woman you marry, could she have found someone more holy and pious than you? Yeah, because you're not God. Could you have found somebody more holy and pious than her? Probably. Yeah. So invariably, any decision you make, any partnership you enter into, you have done so with the lesser of two evils to some extent. But it's one thing to say, that is, I'm not God. I can't change that all creation groans with sin. It's another thing to say, because all creation groans with sin, I'm going to kind of go with the groan I prefer. (laughs) That's... That's what utilitarian ethics is. And so right away in our Bible study this week, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, why does Paul rejoice? Well, what's the next phrase? For whom is he suffering? For God's people. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I'm doing this for the gospel, for you. I rejoice at the opportunity to suffer for you. Because Christ rejoiced at the opportunity to suffer for me. John will write later in one of his letters, we love because God first did what? Loved us. That's why we love you. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, According to the stewardship from God that was given to me, again, why did God give Paul the stewardship or the apostolic calling we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Why did he give him this charge? Because he's a really cool, neato dude? Because he earned it. No. For us. He gave this to him for us stewardship from God that was given to me for you. When Anna, my oldest, was little, she used to go on speaking tour trips with me when she still thought I was cool. And she went as I with me one Sunday, and I went to speak to a, a Lutheran church out in rural Iowa. And on the way home, Anna said to me, um, Daddy, is is God selfish? And I said, well, why would you ask me that? And she said, Well, he says, We're to worship him alone. We're to put him first. We are to um obey his word. She's like, He kind of wants to make this about himself a lot. <laughs> and you're always telling me not to be selfish and self-centered with my little sister. And I said, I said, Princess, when you're selfish. Who is the primary, who who benefits the most from you being selfish? And she said, well, I do. I said, when God puts himself, when God asks us to put him first, or as you see it at your age, when God acts selfishly, who, who benefits the most from that? And I could almost see see the light bulb go on off the top of her head. And she said, we do. I said, yeah, that's the difference between him and us. He's not like us. And in this way, Paul is emulating God. He is taking on the mantle of leadership. Not for props, credit, Earthly prosperity or reward. He is rejoicing in suffering. What, how did Paul suffer? He was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, stranded, eventually beheaded. He j- rejoiced in doing that for you and I, because that's servant leadership. Thoughts on that before we move on, gentlemen? Well,
0: just quickly uh, rejoice. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Well, uh, not always a party. Uh, clearly, uh, when you are being persecuted, uh, the the grace that you are relying on to bring salvation. Uh, to that persecution demands that you ask some fundamental questions. Uh, wh- where ultimately is your hope? And you already alluded to this, Steve. Your hope uh, is that the grace will be that will be applied to that situation. Is the grace that will be applied to you, a sinner? So if if you need to know if you are capable and willing to rejoice in your suffering one of the first things you should be doing is praying for those who are persecuting you. Mm. And I speak for myself. That is so yeah. hard, but that is one of the first fruits you should be looking for. Again, that does not mean that you stop depending on the circumstances that you stop Fighting them in whatever frame of reference fighting means, looking for justice, seeking to stop this. it, It doesn't mean that. But will you pray for them? If you won't, you probably aren't rejoicing in your suffering because you are not allowing the main vehicle of grace, forgiveness, to come into that situation and work.
2: You know, I wore a t shirt yesterday, I think it was. Yeah. It had a symbol on it. Yes, you okay. did. Do you guys remember what that symbol means? Christian. Yeah. Uh it's the symbol that ISIS puts over the doors of Christians to basically mark them for persecution, if not worse. And I was at a convention and a good friend of mine, Stu Epperson Jr., introduced me to uh what's the what's the organization that, that works on the persecuted church across the world, whom I thinking of Aaron? Uh, open doors. Open doors, yeah. yes. And um a good buddy of mine, Stu Epperson Jr., introduced me to them at a national religious broadcasters convention several years ago. And they gave me the shirt. And I, you know, I heard when I, and I learned more about them and their organization and what they do and what was really happening to Christians over there. And I would try to make it a point to wear this shirt as, you know, at least once a month or something. Love that shirt. Okay. And I used to wear it regularly. I was cleaning out my t shirt drawer a few days ago. And I found this shirt, that shirt, buried at the bottom of my drawer, and I realized I had not probably worn this thing in like six to eight months, if not longer. And that's that's an example of what you're talking about. We have to be disciplined. I mean, what's the root word of of discipline? Is disciple, right? We're called to be disciples of Christ. We're gonna. We have to be really disciplined about praying for the, for the persecuted church and things of that nature because we have so many other distractions around us as Americans, particularly of the blessing, material variety. Mm-hmm. you know. And so even something I can do, and I would always get an email from somebody, hey, what's that shirt mean? And I, it would give me a chance to have that conversation. Even something little like that, that I vowed I was going to do, and I kept it up for a while, and then I realized when I cleaned up my T-shirt drawer, this thing's gathering mothballs in the bottom of my drawer. And I did not worn it. God, know, only God knows how long. And I'd lost that disciplinary aspect of that that Todd was just talking about. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I.
1: You wonder why, back in was it? It was Greenville uh, a few years ago, where Dylan Roof walked into a church. Yeah. And shot up the place. Dylan Roof was white. People in the church, I think, were predominantly, if not all, black. Everybody he killed. This was during a time when we were having all these conversations. I don't know if you remember this. This is before I was working for you. This is back in 2015, the summer of 2015. We had all these conversations about what do we do with with the flag, with the Confederate flag. Mm Mm-hmm. And here, we've got this, and I think this is around Ferguson as well, we've got this hypercharged racial environment towards the end of what was supposed to be um, multicultural Valhalla with our first black president, and it wasn't that, and we were just charged, so racially charged, and here in the South comes a white guy, walks into a black church, shoots up a Bible study after they had accepted him, and there was not a race riot in Greenville. Do you know why? Do you remember why? It's because to his freaking face, along the lines of what you were saying, the people, the family members of those that he had killed forgave him. Hmm. That is is true power right there. That could have gone, that could have spiraled out of control Mm -hmm. really quickly. And yet the power of forgiveness and understanding that your suffering has a greater good, not just a not just a happy feeling or a good feeling, but it really is powerful when you allow God to use it, and when you allow yourself to forgive or allow God to really, quite frankly, work through you to forgive others. That is where true power is.
0: Can I say one more quick thing? Sure. I focus mostly on the rejoicing, but on the suffering part, uh, we we do a lot of dumb things as Christians to to bring needless suffering, but. Remember the Lord himself promised us as Christians suffering's unavoidable there's there is there's peace in that it's going to come if you know it's going to come uh if and you are a responsible disciple you will gird your loins accordingly mm-hmm. so there's two key phrases in this the rejoice and the suffering you got to understand exactly it's, you're talking about the hermeneutic don't you, you you real if you understand that one half sentence of this uh you have understood so much of scripture let you know not just colossians uh you understand the cross you understand as you said what pulling out that t-shirt how often in your day are you kneeling at the foot of the cross Mm -hmm. or is this hippie jesus or is it the prosperity gospel you gotta understand suffering the lord himself said it's a coming
2: so here's what I'm going to do, even though we did two verses, I'm going to stop. And the reason I'm going to stop is I kind of gave you a bit of a bonus, although it may not have sounded like it And <laughs> at the, next, the beginning.
1: And the next part is kind of...
2: The next part is a message all into yes. itself. and I. That's a little and, bit
1: difficult to understand at Yeah,
2: value, and I, you know? I think it requires an unpacking of a singular episode. Um, and uh, we're going to do that next week on... Uh, Theology Thursday here on the uh, Steve Day Show podcast. Well, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Don't forget the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E and you can use my last name as the promo code at CRTV.com to subscribe to our stuff on CRTV as well. If you've got some time today, um, click subscribe. They're on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have extra time. Uh, leave us a positive review. Those help us. We greatly appreciate all of you that have already done that. Until tomorrow, it's a Feedback Friday, John 317.
0: This is Steve Dace.